So thank you. As we've all said, our session today is on food markets and nutrition in the developing world. Uh, these are results from a project called Advancing Research on Nutrition and Agriculture, Phase 2, which is funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and also the CGR Program on Agriculture for Nutrition. So why are we here today, apart from the nice, sustainable free lunch? Uh, first, there's a justified interest in leveraging agri-food systems uh, for nutrition. So I've not said agriculture here, we're, we're talking about whole food systems that include trade as well. First, bad diets are the number one risk factor in the global burden of disease. They're a huge problem. If you look at the global burden of disease, undernutrition also ranks very highly in uh, lower-income countries. Uh, and, but within those two categories, all sorts of bad diets are a major risk uh, for disease. So why do agri-food systems play a special role, more so perhaps than other sectors? Well, first, they affect incomes and aggregate spending on food. We know that agriculture is a very uh, important uh, activity for the poor. Second, they affect food safety. We're not really going to talk about food safety today, but that, that is an important function for agri-food systems. They affect the availability of foods, especially in rural areas. So in some rural markets, foods just simply aren't available <coughs> in missing markets. And fourth, they affect the affordability of foods, uh, especially perishable foods. So today we're going to talk a lot about affordability. And most previous research in the, the so-called agriculture nutrition literature focuses on farmers eating what they grow. So small-scale, usually uh, homestead gardening programs, for example, trying to influence what farmers grow thinking that the household's going to eat these uh, new foods that they grow. But surveys show that actually poor rural people heavily depend on markets, especially for non-staple foods. So they interact with markets a lot, and they, they play a really important part in their dietary diversification. So the research questions for today. First, uh, we're trying to understand the linkages between markets, diets, and nutrition outcomes. And the ultimate policy objective here is to improve diets and within that also child feeding practices. So a lot of the papers we're presenting here today are very much focused on uh, foods that are important for young children. So we pose four questions. First, how affordable and available are nutritious foods and also nutritious diets overall? Second, why does food affordability and availability vary so much across countries and also within countries across different markets? Third, are consumption patterns <coughs> driven by affordability and availability? I think the economists in the room won't be surprised to know that the answer to that is yes. And then fourth, what can we do to improve availability uh, and affordability of nutritious foods? Is it a question of uh, diversifying agriculture for our own consumption in rural areas? Do we need to diversify local or national food production systems? Do we need to just fix multiple value chains, the infrastructure, the storage? Uh, or is it international trade? So there's you know, very little discussion of international trade and its role in diversifying diets. This is our team today. So um, in no particular order, we have Robella Lemu from Tufts who's going to give a, a presentation. They're the dietary determinists with a, a team from Tufts, Steve Block, Will Masters, Yan Bai. They're all in the room. Uh, the market fundamentalists, we're only left with David Stifel from Lafayette College, uh, but a very good ambassador. John Hoddenut and Kelly aren't here. Um, I don't know if David Laborde is here, but Will Martin is here. Uh, they're the, the dairy dudes. And then I'm presenting on behalf of Channing. Channing is almost in Washington, but not quite. Um, so I'll present on behalf of him, and that's work with Kwao Andam and Faika Hartley as well. They're, they're the agonomists. They're going to talk about eggs. 
And then we've got Sophia Delano. She's going to present on fish with uh, Andy Jones, uh, who will join us in the panel. And then we've got Jessica Fanzo as a discussant. Special thanks to Jessica for stepping in at very last uh, late minute notice to, to give us some, some thoughts. So how are we going to diagnose markets? Well, the studies today exploit this whole ARENA toolkit. Uh, ARENA is really not just about research, it's about advancing the tools we use to answer agriculture uh, nutrition questions. And so what we do in ARENA, we set up these big data sets early at the front, and then we exploit them as much as we can. And we can, it means we're footloose and flexible, we can look at a lot of different issues. First, we use the widely used demographic health surveys, very useful for looking at child anthropometry, but also diets. We have diets on uh, data on child diets for over 300,000 children from some 50 to 60 countries. So that's a huge data set, allows us to look at global and regional patterns in uh, children's diets. We use a range of economic and agricultural household surveys. David Stifel is going to use this uh, PSMP nutrition survey from rural Ethiopia. We also use the Ghana Living Standards Survey to look at eggs. We're going to use a lot of price data. That's a very effective way of analyzing markets because that's how consumers engage with markets principally. And we're going to use a really rich new database um, from the International Comparison Program, which is administered by the World Bank, but is a global data set of prices in different countries. Um, and then we're going to use uh, economy-wide simulation models to do policy experiments, essentially, specifically in the Ghana study. And that's going to look at, uh, you know, what are the uh, consumption and poverty outcomes of different types of agricultural policies. Some common threads. These studies forensically diagnose markets in developing countries, mostly by looking at prices and supply-side constraints. We're not saying demand-side constraints aren't important, and we are going to talk about those a little bit, uh, but this is uh, an unashamedly quite supply-side oriented uh, series of presentations. These studies build on some key findings from ARENA Phase 1. Uh, the first is something that won't surprise many nutritionists and is well known elsewhere, but animal source foods are very strongly linked to child growth. Uh, they are nutrient dense and multiple nutrients, and children have small stomachs, and they're in the, this early growth window, 6 to 24 months, they need to be fed very nutrient-dense foods, and animal source foods really fit the bill. Second, in the less developed countries, perishable, nutritious foods are very expensive sources of calories relative to starchy staples. So I'll talk about this in a minute, but we uh, develop what we call calorie price ratios to measure how much it costs to get calories from a given food relative to starchy staples. And we can look at international comparisons across countries. Third, markets are important, but some markets work very badly. So two studies at least from um, the first phase of ARENA particularly look at dairy, which is highly perishable unless it's processed, unless you have cold storage. And dairy in Ethiopia is a really classic case of market failure. So what are these calorie price ratios? Um, we basically take, I'm going to pre present some results here on animal source foods, how much different a calorie of a different animal source food costs relative to the cheapest starchy staple in that country. So a country like Bangladesh, rice is overwhelmingly the starchy staple. Uh, a, a calorie of rice or a thousand calories of rice costs a certain amount. How much does the same amount, the same number of calories of eggs cost relative to rice? So these are ratios that tells you how expensive it is to diversify out of staples into a more nutrient-rich food. So this is what results look like for fish varieties. These are sort of the cheapest uh, fish varieties. There's an interesting result there that actually fish is relatively cheap, especially in East Asia. It's eight times eight 
uh, 8.8 .8 times as expensive um, as the staple, uh, starchy staple, the cheapest starchy staples in East Asia, which is usually rice. It's also relatively cheap in sub-Saharan Africa, and one of the studies is going to show actually uh, fish is the most commonly consumed animal source food in Africa. What about cow's milk? Very different result. Very cheap in the high-income countries, that's the, the Hicks. Um, Eastern Europe and Central Asia, Latin America, MENA, still fairly cheap. Expensive in East Asia, so dairy is 13 times as expensive as the, as the cheapest starchy staple in East Asia. Relatively cheap in South Asia, especially India, where dairy is very important, but very expensive in Sub-Saharan Africa, around 24 times as expensive as calories from starchy staples. That's fresh cow's milk. Eggs, similar result, very perishable. There's no long-distance blue ocean trade in eggs, and eggs are in Africa are 23 times as expensive as the cheapest starchy staples. And you can see that declines with as you move to uh, richer regions. In the high-income countries, eggs are a relatively cheap source of calories, but also many other uh, micronutrients, protein, etc. And lastly, poultry meat, similar story, but a bit cheaper than eggs. Poultry meat is tradable long distance. There's a lot of exports of poultry meat uh, from big exporters like Brazil to other countries. So these are sort of some stylized facts from Arena Phase 1, and many of the studies in this uh, session are going to delve deeper into these issues. And we're going to look at not only explaining why these patterns exist across countries or across markets, but also what can be done to change them. How can we improve the food system and the affordability of nutrient-rich foods? So I'm now changing hats. I'm going to pretend to be chatting art for a few minutes. Um, this is a study called Eggs Before Chickens, Poultry Poverty and Nutrition in Sub-Saharan Africa. What's the poultry problem? Well, Africa is in the midst of a livestock revolution. That was a term coined some 22, 23 years ago by IFRI researchers. And it was to describe that in developing countries' transition economies, animal source food consumption is going way up. But unlike other regions, coastal Africa especially imports much of its ASFs, and it's, uh, the import share of consumption is growing in Africa. This is potentially an economic problem for these countries, but is it also a nutritional problem? This is just some data from the FAO showing the share of imports in consumption, but specifically how that's changed over time. So you can see that poultry has been growing in sub-Saharan Africa, um, but it's 80% driven by imports. Um, fish, interesting story, if you believe the data here, uh, imports going up, domestic production actually going down. So poultry meat is heavily imported. In fact, this is directly a result of the first livestock revolution, which exploded uh, in the mid-1990s with countries like Brazil and China starting to export a lot of poultry. Some countries in Africa have imposed import bans, uh, particularly Nigeria. And African broilers are just uncompetitive. They can't compete with these imports, and they're not doing well. Eggs, quite different. There's no blue ocean imports, and eggs are naturally protected. They're super expensive, um, but no real growth in production. So they're, but they're highly nutritious. We know that eggs are one of the single most, uh, you might say, multi-nutritious foods. So what do we find in terms of egg consumption in Ghana, the, the case study here? Eggs are expensive, so the poor don't eat them. Egg consumption rises steeply with wealth quintiles, but it's the, it's the bottom and you know, the poorest quintiles that are the most likely to have stunted children, and they feed their kids very few eggs. Why is African poultry unproductive? Poultry is the most commonly owned livestock in Africa, but it's almost all low-input, low-output scavenging systems. There are huge economies of scale from commercialization. This is a graph showing you this relative price of um, eggs relative to the share of chickens in intensive, that's commercial systems. 
and very strong relationship there. But the commercial sector is mostly catered to urban areas, and egg prices are very high, especially in rural areas. And you have this funny situation where lots of rural households own chickens, but they don't, the kids don't eat eggs. So commercial poultry is also fairly uncompetitive, especially the broiler sector. And why is that? It's really about high feed costs. So feed costs in Africa are substantially higher than other regions. Overall, total feed costs in Ghana are about 16% higher than the international standard. So we look at this is these issues in a uh, national CG model for Ghana, a computable general equilibrium model, and we look at two alternative paths. If Ghana adopted the Nigerian approach of a complete import uh, ban on poultry meat, and then second, trying to improve feed basically through maize uh, productivity growth. The import ban is useless. It has no poverty or nutrition benefits. Probably no surprise there for economists. The feed improvement scenario sees egg prices go down by 9%, egg consumption go up, uh, pretty substantially, and including among the poorest quintiles, which is good. And total household consumption goes up because many farmers grow maize and also they spend a lot of their money on maize. So the key takeaways, there's, uh, we need more economy-wide research for growth, poverty, and nutrition to understand these trade-offs and competitive issues. We need to understand and address the high cost of feed in Africa. You know, that's one of the main reasons that the livestock revolution in Africa is very import-dependent. And that's a cross-cutting issue, not only for poultry, but for eggs and, and also aquaculture as well. And there's a second question, can Africa raise area and productivity of maize and also soybeans and other important feeds? But our study also hints that we, maybe we need behavioral change on eggs too. Uh, we see this major improvement in maize yields, but egg consumption at baseline is quite low. Um, and you know, it might be that countries and parents in particular need to learn about the nutritional properties of eggs. Okay, so I'll turn over there to the next speaker, Will Martin.